Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Buddham damang sangang namasami. So very nice to have the opportunity to talk to you again. <laughs> uh, topic tonight that's uh, been very dear to my heart for quite some time. Um, I think, uh, as I've mentioned, I've been going to the monasteries for a, a number of years, and uh, just uh, going there each year to, to support the, the monks and the nuns in one way or another. Sometimes I go during the winter retreat and so uh, we kind of there's a team of people who will keep the monastery going so that they can practice, or sometimes just in the summer to to be with them, and uh, you know it's a time when you can interact a lot more, which uh, I've come to do more in, in recent years. But last year um, we uh, ended up going to uh, Thailand, a number of us, and um, going back a few years, there was a, a group of us who were associated with the Bayagiri Buddhist Monastery, lay, lay people. And uh, we began a training with uh, Ajahn Amaro and Ajahn Pasano, kind of a training and an education just to, to get to know more uh, about the tradition, to learn specifically about uh, the lineage of Ajahn Chah, to study suttas, to study the meditation practice, and to um, find out, you know, look at ways that we could be more supportive, more directly supportive, uh, to them in their work, we we kind of saw ourselves as training to be kind of John the Baptist, you know. <laughs> we would go, we would go out whenever they were going to be somewhere with lay people and who might not know the tradition, and we would just kind of go out and prepare the way. And any number of things, and people were uh, thinking about different ways that they would use this training. So, um, turns out, after you know three and a half years of meetings like this and and learning. Um, we realized that not many of us had been to Thailand. And here we are, <laughs> where the supporters of this Thai forest tradition clearly has its roots in, in Thailand, and, and we hadn't been there yet. And so uh, we, and it was finishing up the training, and we thought, well, we ought to do something really special as graduation. So um, we said, uh, let's, let's see if we can go to Thailand. And uh, I think uh, Ajahn Amaro and Ajahn Pasana were a little <laughs> not sure at first, you know, <laughs> going traveling around Thailand, Thailand in a, a bus full of lay people, you know. But uh, <laughs> we could, we convinced them. And actually, uh, Ajahn Pasana thought uh, he thought it would be good. He thought it would be a good idea. It would be. A, a, he kind of saw us as um, ambassadors, you know. And and there was a whole host of. Uh, Thai lay people that they knew and uh, who would be kind of like our ground crew and coordinating things and and there would be this cultural exchange and uh, you know I think uh, to their credit it was a very wise thing to do you know to to give us this opportunity to uh, to meet the Thai people and to go to um, we traveled around and went to many monasteries in the lineage of of Ajahn Chah and the whole thing culminated um, at a at uh, Wapapang and Wapananashat. Wapapang is the monastery that Ajahn Chah um, started. And then also, um, the, uh, uh, just down the road a few miles is uh, one that was begun uh, around the time of Ajahn Sumedho, I believe, um, to um, 
uh, serve and, and host and train uh, Western disciples, you know, where they could, the talks were given in languages other than Thai. Uh, and so uh, that's where we went, and that's where we stayed, and went back and forth. Um, this is all on the occasion of the memorial of uh, Ajahn Chah's death, which is um, Jan- January 16. So um, this was all to, uh, you know, give us the uh, experience of, of these kinds of ceremonies where literally thousands, thousands of Thai people come and uh, settle into both monasteries and, you know, just set up tents and mosquito nets and build their own little world uh, in, in the, inside the monastery walls for three days of Dhamma talks and some ceremonies and um, memorial services. So we stayed at Wat Pananashat with a couple of um, lay, lay women who had kutis there. And uh, I, I think the, uh, you know, the whole experience, I mean, there's so much I could say. <laughs> but uh, I want to fo- focus on one bit of it um, tonight, which uh, uh, it was ex- extremely moving for me. We went, um, uh, we were invited to come and, and uh, take part in the, the daily dawn um, offering a food to the uh, monastics. And what happens is that uh, every day uh, they get up and, um, uh, and chant and do their morning puja, and then they leave the, the monastery before dawn and go out barefooted, and they'll go, go out one gate, and they'll all split off in different directions, going to the different villages to receive alms. And uh, a, a number of us who were staying at the monastery then were invited to uh, um, uh, participate with the, some of the local people who lived right near, who sort of greet them or greet the monks as they're on their way back. You know, as they come back, they're sort of like right before they go in, back into the monastery gates. The whole street is just lined with people um, uh, offering food yet one more time, and there's a lot of. Um, uh, lay people come behind and, and with bags and baskets and, and just collect the overflow. You know, the, the monks are always receiving their food and then they put it in these big baskets for the overflow and they come back for more and we'll put it in the baskets, come back for more. It, it's quite amazing. So uh, a, a, num- a number of us uh, went outside the gates and we were just struck by this un- unbelievable sight of uh, very devout people all lined up along the road and, and um, uh, around the bend. And uh, they were very excited to see us. You know, one thing about the, the Thai people, they, they're, first of all, enormously happy and generous people. But they, they also just are um, particularly delighted, it seems, to see Westerners come and take part in these kinds of ceremonies and support the, the communities in the way that they have done, you know, all their lives. And um, so they were, you know, jumping up all, all, all excited, you know, trying to find a place for us in the, in the lines and uh, laying out straw mats for us. And one, one woman who was traveling um, separately but joined us, a good friend of mine from England, she's a, a mother of two monks. And so when they heard that, they go running inside for a big chair, you know, and they put the, put the big chair out for her. It's just like, oh, two, two monks, two monks, you know. And then uh, just, you know, in case we didn't have enough, this one comes up with a big basket full of sticky rice, and this one comes up with a big 
basket full of bananas to just to make sure that there were you know there were about six or eight of us and they want we didn't look like we had enough you know <laughs> they want to make sure we had had enough to to make this um, make these offerings. So uh, you know we're kneeling by the side of the road and and putting on our best devout face you know <laughs> but then uh, you know down the road we could see in the distance here come the monastics you know. And I know you know this feeling because you've been doing it all week too. It's like this, you get this rush. <laughs> it's like, oh, here they come, here they come, here they come, you know. <laughs> and everybody just gets quiet and, and gets still and, and gets ready to uh, make the offerings to plop in the, in the bowl. You know, that's what, that's what it's all about. And uh, so this, this experience of this, it's, it's supposed to be um, kind of solemn, and uh, and mostly, I, I, I suspect it is, you know, because basically, what's going on in this uh, little moment when they come up and lean over with their bowl is, um, you know, the way it's talked about in the tradition is basically they're making themselves available for offerings, and uh, the lay people are making themselves available uh, to offer. And and then this little dance happens, you know, where there's the meeting of these these two populations who mutually are agreeing to take part in this uh, thing, which you know it's, it's, it looks like one is giving and one is receiving, but in the actual experience of it, it's not quite like that, is it? <laughs> you know, it's very hard to tell who's doing the giving and who's doing the receiving because the, to have them be willing to live the life that they live and to live a life that is so vulnerable and it's just, it's so it's so dependent you know they if they, basically if these devout lay people don't line up on the street to offer them food they, they aren't going to eat you know uh, and and so uh, it, it just has this amazing uh, feeling in it and in in the moment when they you come together, and it's, it's, as I said, it's supposed to be done where, you know, where neither is looking at each other, you know, where um, there's just, the, there's just the, the movement of offering and receiving. And, and in that moment, it's like you, I don't know about you, but I get these zingers, you know. <laughs> there's there's this, this total um, agreement or uh, participation in uh, deep and profound Concern for the welfare of another person and the expression of that, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's quite amazing. So now, but I mean, you throw a bunch of Westerners into the pot, and it gets a little different. <laughs> so that what we what we were doing is, uh, you know, like, oh, good, here comes Ajahn Amaro. Oh, we get to put something in Ajahn Amaro's pot, you know. <laughs> and here, here comes in, my, my, my friend was looking for her sons, you know, have you seen Kalyana, have you seen Kalyana? Oh, there he is, there he is. Oh, good, 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 you know. And, and you get this kind of giddy, you know, I want to give, I want to give, I want to give, you know, <laughs> going on. And it's, it's, uh, it's quite amazing, quite, quite beautiful. But uh, fortunately, we, we have wonderful... Um, Friends in, in robes who were on the other side of that and, uh, uh, you know, appreciating what we're going through and in their own way, smiling and, and uh, receiving the offerings. Uh, 
in, in a somewhat more subdued, giddy way, but happy <laughs> in the same way that, that we are, you know. It's a, it, it, was, it was really quite amazing. So, um, you know, uh, the, the moments following this, you know, uh, I, I couldn't help but uh, reflect about it all. Uh, just right there and, and certainly uh, after leaving there, you know, certainly the experience of it all is just quite beautiful. Uh, you know, that, 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 uh, that moment, as I said, it's just, it's just so rich and so profound. And, and part of it, um, if, it, if it's done in the way that they're trained to do it, and if the lay people are participating in the way that we're trained to do it, um, it, it's all silent, and it, it's all um, like almost like gesturing. And they're not supposed to say thank you, you know, and we're not supposed to say here, you know, take it. it, it it's all, uh, and, and, and the, the thank you may, may, may surprise you, but actually in the Thai world, they, they feel that, uh, in part, that, that diminishes the merit that's um, gained from this. Uh, and if you think about that, it makes perfect sense because it's it all has to do with um, a, a purifying, this um, extending, this quality of extending and offering and expressing uh, complete and utter concern for the welfare of another person. So, I mean, it's all very beautiful. <laughs> and in, in a funny kind of way, one of my first reactions after it was to to reflect on how in a way I, I I wondered if I was like starved, you know, for this kind of thing in my life. And some of us were talking about this, that uh we don't have these kinds of um ceremonies, you know. I mean we have Christmas and we have things like that, but some of that stuff has just gotten so commercial, you know, and so uh, devoid of any true direct experience of, of giving of offering, of, of dana. This is generosity. This is the giving. That, um, you know, it, it kind of explains the giddiness that we felt in this. You know, it's like, you couldn't hold, you couldn't hold us down. And, and here, this, it, was like, it felt like a, like a bottleneck of um, energy that just was wanting to express and wanting to express and wanting to express. And certainly I've been going to the monastery for years, you know, at this point, and, and certainly have felt this to some degree. But somehow the, the, the intimacy and the directness of um, this particular experience just made me think a lot more about what the Buddha is talking about with Donna and why it's so important. You know, why, why does it figure so prominently? In his teaching, it's like the, one of the the first of the paramis, and it's said that um, all of the other paramis proceed from it. That you know, it ha- you have to have a baseline in an open and generous and a heart that extends uh, before the others will be cultivated or developed. It's the it's the baseline of the gradual training. You know, where, and there's a couple of formulas for this. You know, where it's, it's generosity, sila, the meditation. There's a, another formula where it's generosity, sila, uh, heavens, drawbacks, and renunciation. You know, there's different different formula in the teachings. Where, but generosity is always kind of at the core of it. 
it, it's a, it represents the, the baseline. So, you know, uh, one wonders uh, about the genius of the Buddha with this, especially when uh, you've had this kind of experience with um, offering on Pindapod like we did. You know, he's clearly a very clever and smart person to have uh, set into the institution of the way that Buddhism is practiced around the world, uh, something that takes place every single day that brings people together in this amazing gesture of giving and receiving. You know, and my, my experience, I'm getting goosebumps, my, my experience of the Thai people was that they were so happy. You know, <laughs> couldn't believe how happy they were, everybody we met. And... and um, you know, this just gave me some semblance of understanding what, what might be the roots of that. Because basically what they do every day is they get up in the morning and, and cook a meal and go out be, and um, offer it. And at first I thought, well, this was particularly huge because it's so early in the morning. But once you, you spend some time in Thailand, um, it's very hot there. And most of the markets for food are, are open all night, or they open in, in the middle of the night, because people want to go and get their vegetables and fruits and, and do their cooking before the sun comes up. You know, So they're, they're actually doing all their own cooking before the sun comes up anyway. And then after having done this to prepare a meal to nourish themselves, to nourish their family, they take part of it and they go out and, uh, and they give it away. <laughs> And I thought, wow, <laughs> I think I'd be pretty happy if that's how I started my day every day, too. You know, just that, that whole experience. You, can, you get some sense of why um, the, the Buddha set it up like this. Because basically what we're, we're looking at is um, a practice, a training, that has to do with overcoming um, a, a very heightened, highly developed self-absorption. You know, basically, the, the, the self-absorption that we all have witnessed, uh, you know, in our own minds and hearts on this retreat, you know, you, you see it and you can feel it and you know the pain of being in that state. You know, so part of the, the training, part of the practice that we do is um, designed, you know, as we're doing here on retreat, to help us to, to in a way, take it on head-on. You know, look at that... Um, relentless uh, self-concern and and learn from it just by observing it um, very directly minute after minute, hour after hour in a, in a meditation retreat like this. And through that, you know, seeing how it works, seeing what how it's getting constructed and, and how to break it down and basically doing the practice of, of mindfulness and relaxation to have insight into that whole process. So And through that understanding, then uh, one can uh, gradually, you know, you release that, don't you? You know, you just, you just uh, I don't know about you, but for me in my own practice, I think one of the chief ways that I've uh, released a, a lot of um, my own uh, difficult states of being are, has been just sitting with them, <laughs> you know, and feeling the pain of it. You know, it, you just... You, you, you get sensitized to what it's like to be in these states. And in a way, in, in some ways, in ways that we don't even know it's happening, they're getting released and getting, getting freed. But 
there's this um, this other way. You know, the, in, the the teachings and the practices come at it from this this whole other angle, which is really designed to um, uh, sort of decrystallize that by uh, developing a state of heart, a state of being that is other than self-concern. You know. It makes, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Look at it, see it, and understand it. But, you know, drop that sometime. Come at it from this other door, you know. It makes it, it kind of opens things up, loosens things up, and softens things up in the heart just to, to discover for ourselves, to find out what it's like to um, live um, in this world in a way that is extending out instead of always pulling in. <laughs> yeah? We, we're always gratifying self. Well, what about reversing that whole motion, turning it around and, and uh, putting it in the other direction? And this is what Donna does. This is uh, the practice of, of generosity, Donna. And uh, not surprisingly, the, the Buddha has a whole lot to say about it. <laughs> You know, he in, invites us in a number of teachings really just to notice what it's like, uh, to notice the various nuances of the giving. And, and it's, it, it's really interesting. You know, he said basically that, um, you know, the, what we do with the meditation, uh, like we were talking about this week, is one can get caught up in sort of the methods and the concepts and the ideas around meditation. And one can do the same thing with generosity. You sort of get an idea about what it means to be a generous person or what one has to do in order to be, to extend in this way. And then, um, you know, we've all done this. I'm sure you, you say, well, how much should I give and where should I go and how should I be and what do I have to do in order to be generous? You know, and I, I think what he says in these practices is, you know, just to drop that. That's, that's not a really good approach. But rather, just notice yourself in the acting in um, various ways of giving and uh, see what it feels like. You know, basically, uh, so much of this uh, with Donna and Sila is about um, finding out for ourselves what it feels like to behave this way and what it feels like to behave that way. And, it, you know, it's been my experience that this mind isn't stupid. I mean, it, it figures it out, you know. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> That's this way, and that's this way. <laughs> and, and then you, you start to, to lean and, and uh, move in, in a more skillful and, and happy direction. So it's interesting. I, I don't think in, in any way he's not saying that we're, we're not already generous. We're very much so. But uh, what we need to do, if we really want to practice Donna and... and uh, enjoy the fruits of it, enjoy the benefits of it, is to tune in right at the experience of the offering and see what's going on with that. <clears throat> so he offers a, a couple of suttas that are very, very helpful. Um, one is called the, the ways of giving, and one is called the reasons for giving. They're, they're very similar, but um, I want to read them both because uh, uh, I'll draw some examples from each of these. There are, O monks, eight ways of giving. One gives spontaneously, one gives out of fear, or because of thinking, 
he has given, uh, he too has given me a gift. So it's sort of like somebody's given me something, I should give them something. Or because of thinking, he will give me a present. <laughs> or because of thinking that it's a good idea to give. Or because of thinking, and this is when he's referring to, to uh, giving to monastics, I cook, but they, being ascetics, do not. So if I cook, it would be good and proper for me. It wouldn't be, uh, it would not be proper for me to refuse giving a meal to those who do not cook. Or because of thinking, by giving such a gift, I shall earn a good reputation. Or one gives because it ennobles the mind, adorns the mind. Here, there are eight ways of giving. People give out of affection. They give out of an angry mood. They give out of stupidity. They give out of fear. Or, because of thinking, such gifts have been given before by my father and my grandfather and was done by them before. Hence, it would be unworthy of me to give up this family tradition. Or, because of thinking, by giving this gift, I shall be reborn in a good destination, in a heavenly world after death. Or because of thinking, when giving this gift, my heart will be glad and happiness and joy will arise in me. Or because it ennobles and adorns the mind. So when when you hear lists like this, um, you know, it's quite common to to immediately start determining which is the better way, you know, (laughs) and think, well, oh, I should do that and not do that. That's, That's what he's saying. And and uh, maybe even some on some level he he is saying that, but not not with the shoulds in it. Basically, I think what he does with a lot of these lists is um, is offer us uh, pointers, you know, basic uh, ways to practice. Look, pay attention. Uh, sometimes it's going to be like this. What does that feel like? You know, pay attention. Sometimes it's going to be for this reason. What does that feel like? And Look at it this way. What, what does that feel like? Uh, just to, to it, there's no criticism in it. There's no judgment in it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just um, look and see as impartially and objectively as one can in the act of offering. What is the uh, what's going on? What's the quality of heart and mind in that? So just to to walk through a few and and uh, lots of times I, I offer things that I, I learn in my own practice and. I hope you don't mind that. Sometimes it's, uh, uh, well, it's the way that I learn. <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, how I come to understand things, and uh, I hope it's a, a useful. So um, uh, let's say the example of giving out of annoyance or exasperation. You know, sometimes, uh, this is, I mean, this is interesting, but sometimes it goes, it goes like this, where somebody's bothering you to give you something, you know, they want it, I want it, it might, it might be kids or it might be a friend or something like that. And then finally in a, in a burst of, you know, just annoyance and irritation with you, you go, oh, here, take it, take it, you know. <laughs> and, and you have that kind of outburst. But uh, just consider that. I think what the Buddha is saying here, that this, this is giving, this is giving. You just want to notice what that feels like, you know, what's, what's going on in the heart. Sometimes it's out of fear or shame. Um, and uh, this one is very interesting for me to watch. Uh, one time when I went to a retreat, um, it was a, a retreat by a Tibetan teacher, and 
we were told in the registration that our fees, which were actually quite high, I wasn't used to paying that much for a retreat, but that our fees included um, the offerings uh, for the teacher. And so that was good because, uh, uh, you know, you, you didn't mind it that much. And uh, But then at the end of the retreat, there was this big ceremony in the hall, and they had this huge stack of white envelopes. And they and somebody came around and was giving them to everybody, <laughs> passing them out, you know. And uh, it became immediately apparent that this was, um, you were supposed to put something in the envelope, and um, everybody uh, was supposed to go up and, you know, bow and offer it to the teacher and uh, receive a blessing. And, uh, you know, I found myself being really annoyed by this, <laughs> you know, because this is not what I understood. And I was uh, ashamed because I didn't have uh, a lot of money. I didn't have any more money. It was always a scramble just to get enough to, to do this retreat. And, and yet, you know, I was too ashamed. I thought about bringing up the envelope with nothing in it and, and, and putting that because that's what I could do. Uh, but uh, that didn't feel right. And yet to, to put money in that I couldn't afford, you know, that didn't feel right either. But that's what I did. But it was driven by shame. Uh, and you know, the experience was this way, <laughs> you know, just watching what was going on for myself. Sometimes we give uh, because uh, it, we think it's a good idea. And I think this is interesting that he puts this in here. It, it goes back to what we've said about um, being caught up in ideas and what happens when the head gets in the, in the act. You know, it's like you get the, the act of giving can get very heady and very compulsive and not, you know, it needs, it's, like, it's almost like it needs to drop down to the heart where... Uh, it can be felt more directly. But uh, uh, this is the way it was for me for many, for many years, probably at the monasteries, when, when I would go to the monasteries in England. Because uh, basically, you know, when I first went there, um, I was just wired, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, very compulsive uh, and very duty-bound kind of person. You know, I grew up in a large family, and everybody had their job, and you just, you know, you, they told you what to do and you did it, and that's what your job was. And, and I had a lot of this kind of energy, which uh, some of you may, may be able to relate to. So when you, when you go to a monastery and they tell you, do this, do that, do this, do that, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, sure, you know, and, and just do it. And, but don't think about it, you know, just uh, acting quite compulsively and um, automatically, uh, just responding. And, I mean, to be fair, I mean, your whole thing of going to the monastery is to offer so clearly that sentiment is in the heart. But if I would watch myself on any given day, I could all be quite driven, you know, and quite compulsive, uh, you know, painting windows, fix a meal, whatever. You know, you just get giddy with it all. And, and you just do it. And, uh, but it wasn't until um, many years um, later that um, I had the opportunity. I had, uh, there were, a couple of the monastics that uh, I was particularly close to, uh, one nun and one monk, and I wanted to offer them something that um, would be a really special present. You know, I was so grateful to them. I just wanted to do something that, that it w- where it was all for them, and nobody was going to ask anything from them. Nobody wanted anything from them. 
I just wanted to set up an opportunity for each of them at different times and in different places to have a retreat, and um, I would serve it. And uh, so I did. And uh, it, it wasn't until this experience where uh, it was much more intimate and, and personal. Uh, certainly they, they were off doing their meditation all day, and I would actually only see them for the five minutes that it takes to come and get the meal and for them to chant the blessing. But, um, you know, it, it was still uh, me getting up and preparing the food each day. And I invited some other people to do it as well, and some people did do that. But most of the time it was, it was me. And it was, it was much more in that, the quiet of that kind of offering that I was really be able to see for the first time what was going on in here, you know, in, in that uh, gesturing. And this was years of, of serving meals and offering food to monastics. But, but uh, when you get in a gang, you know, and there's all this busyness in the kitchen, it all gets very whoosh, you know. The energy just gets very um, much in a doing mode. And one very easily can forget to look and see uh, what's happening. You know. So in this uh, kind of um, offering, you know, I, I really started to be able to see you know, how much I, I loved the, the monastic community and how very much, how deeply I wanted to support them in any way that I could and to uh, make sure that they were um, fed and had robes and had medicinal requisites and had the supplies that they needed uh, for their monasteries. So doing it from the place of a good idea, even if it is a good idea, it sort of stays in the heady realm. And one needs to drop it down into the direct experience to be able to feel it and see what's arising in your hearts. Because I guarantee you, when you have a look at what's going on when you're offering food uh, or whatever uh, to these, this community, uh, you, you're going you're to see some beautiful things. <laughs> and they're coming up in you, in, in your hearts. And this is what he wants us to see. Because there's an unbelievable happiness in that. And one can begin to develop new habits habits that are turned in the other direction from self-concern and uh, into this mode of, of dana, of offering, of gesturing. So I think what happens is that we can miss the experience. And so the, the idea here is to notice, is it in your head or is it in your heart? Just feel it and see the difference. So one of them is uh, the uh, things that he mentions in the sutta is to gain a good reputation, giving to gain a good reputation. And when I thought about that, I thought, well, you know, that's not me. I don't do that, you know. <laughs> when you think about this, you think of people who give a lot of money to, you know, build a library and have their name put on it or something, or, you know, offer a, a plaque or something with their, their name and or like when I was little where they used to um, 
published in the church bulletin how much people gave at the Sunday offering, you know. <laughs> so you could be, they did. <laughs> and it was kind of an incentive to, uh, you know, be well thought of by giving a lot more, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I found other ways that I was doing that. And uh, some of you may know that I'm, I'm a, a bit of a, a muffin maven. I like to bake muffins. And uh, <laughs> personally, I think they're the perfect food. <laughs> I've often thought that we should um, we should redo the, the the food pyramid, and there should be a special category <laughs> just for muffins. You know, it's like a, an essential food group. So uh, I love I really love to make them uh, at the monasteries and offer them for the community. And I've even gone so far as to um, buy mu- the proper muffin tins, and you know. Uh, various ingredients and uh, cookbooks and all, make sure all the monasteries are well-equipped, you know, <laughs> so that they can do it when I'm not there, because I'm sure they want to do it when I'm not there. But anyway, I'm going to go there. That's, uh, that's kind of what I'm known for, you know. And, and uh, so I, would, I began to watch this, and it was fascinating to watch uh, my behavior, uh, because, well, you know, I would get very um, territorial about these puffins, when it came to putting the food on the table, you know, I, I want the what I had made to be front and center. And there might be like six other people, you know, offering food too. And I had these little kind of ways, oh, that's very nice. Oh, garlic bread. Here, let's put that back here, you know. <laughs> you know? And, uh, just w- w- watching this behavior. It's like, oh, and it, maybe it was muffins. Maybe it was something else. Like lots of times you're cooking a meal and you're... Um, just cooking out of the larder, and uh, so I would f- fancy a, a, a meal with a particular uh, cuisine, you know, get a theme going if the ingredients were there, and create this fabulous thing, and coordinate it all, you know, and satisfy myself, which which was true, that I'm, I'm concerned for uh, the the nutritional health of the community, but I also wanted to make sure that they knew who made it, you know. I just really started to see this, and uh, it, it, it can come to quite a head at the monasteries because if you have any kind of territoriality about what you are offering, <laughs> you're going to get quite a workout <laughs> because you just can't control. You know, you just can't make it the dominant thing, except occasionally, maybe. What will often happen, and right at the the maybe the minute before you're ready to um, ring the bell to signal that the, the meal is ready, then uh, you know, up will drive a caravan of cars <laughs> filled with uh, Thais and Sri Lankans or, or maybe even a bus. A whole, sometimes a double-decker bus will pull up and the whole busload of people will come out with all kinds of offerings, <laughs> you know, like 10 times more food than the community could possibly eat. And they'll come. They'll come in with this great-hearted offering, and and just start putting it out on the tables, you know. And 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 you know your little muffins, you know, just <laughs> they just they, they just get pushed further and further back. And you know, one time I saw them get picked up and replaced with a, a basket of chocolate eclairs, and and you know my heart was like whimpering inside. <laughs> my, my muffins out front. I want them to know that they came from me, you know? 
And I came back one time from uh, after the offering and, and found the, the basket of them on the floor in the back. You know, they didn't even get offered, you know. And, and you, have to, you have to look and see, okay, well, what's going on with all this? What's happening here? Is this about me? You know? Is it, or is it about the offering? And, and the Thai people have been enormously helpful to me through, through the years, just to, not only by their actions, but to, to teach us about this, literally. You know, they, they basically say, no, look, no, it's not like that. It's, 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 it's about the offering. It's about the giving. It doesn't matter what happens to it after that. You, know, you, you, you got to get behind it at this level. Just, just do it and offer it. <laughs> That's where all the action is. And then if it ends up in the compost, fine. It doesn't matter. You know? They have this saying um, where they call um, they, they talk about like polishing the, the back of the Buddha. Like the people in the temple who come to polish the Buddha, and there's a bunch of them who are all out front polishing so everybody can see them polish, you know. And then, and then there's a few who go around the back and polish the back of the Buddha. And this is the, this is the quality that they say you, you want to you wanna work towards. Well, you know, over the years, y- you learn. Because the, the, if you're looking at what's going on when, you know, you're whimpering over the chocolate eclairs, <laughs> you know, you're suffering. And if you're uh, being territorial and trying to get it all out front because you want to be acknowledged and recognized, you're suffering. I'm saying you, and I'm saying me. You know, this is uh, this is what one learns. And then, after uh, enough of this, it, it gets to be this incredible welcoming. It's like so. So you're about to ring the bell, and the caravan drives up. And you go, hey, come on in, you know. Well, what do you need? Do you need a pot? Do you need a basket? Do you need a bowl? Let's put yours right here in the front. You know? <laughs> it starts to shift over time. Because it's, a, it's, it's not about this. It's about this. And I love that. I mean, I just... I, the Buddha just knocks me out. I mean, he, <laughs> he just nails it over and over and over again. I mean, to, to set this up this way, where uh, a daily, every day, if you're connected with a monastery or living in it, this is, what, this, this is your experience. You get to practice uh, with how it is that you are around offering. So there's, a, there's one that he talks about, you know, giving to repay a favor or giving, I give to you because you gave to me, that kind of thing. It's nice. I mean, you know, we do this very much in social settings. You know, whose turn is it to pay for lunch? You know, whose turn is it to have the other one over for dinner? That kind of stuff. It goes, it goes back and forth. And it's lovely, and one doesn't want to diminish it, because as I said, it's all giving. But the idea is to direct the attention to it and see how that feels. You know, it, see, it's a, it's a, it's, it, in the doing of that, it, 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 it feels more like an exchange than, than an offering. And one of the things that, that um, 
actually concerns me a little bit is that uh, the way that we've been talking about Donna in the West um, feels a lot like this. And some of it has its basis in the, in the suttas. The Buddha you know, talked about um, the lay people support the monastics the, with food and monastics give teachings. But it seems like that little bit of it has gotten pulled out and um, has become sort of the Donna talk, you know, uh, and and it, it, for myself, and I, I'm wondering if you might have felt this sometimes, that, you know, when I hear that, that these these talks, as we explain Donna at the end of retreats, um, sometimes it, I get a little cringe, you know, because basically what, what, what is said often is that the, the teachings are priceless. They're offered freely. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a gift. And then if you want to give back, here's how to do it, isn't it? That's how it gets, yeah, gets presented. And, and to be fair, it's understandable. And I think that we're doing the best we can as we try to learn about these teachings and these practices in the West. But I, I think this one we need to have a look at, you know, because it, it, it's, it, it's not like a tit-for-tat, you know, it, it, it's if we hold it in that way, uh, it, in a way we we we're diminishing the possibility, the potential for a much higher order of offering arising in our hearts. You know, if if we hold it in this mindset of, well, you gave, so I'll give. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's it's really something that we need to attend to, I think, and and find ways to explain Donna to ourselves and to each other and um, so that we're optimizing the opportunity to actually uh, give rise to a genuine heartfelt offering that is not linked with what we've just been given. And, and to this end, I mean, what, what comes to mind is um, something that one of the monks told me about. He said that in, in ancient India... Um, it was uh, con- considered a very good sign by travelers when they approached a village or a town, and on the way there, they ran across uh, monastics who were practicing in caves or practicing in the forest. And uh, the reason why that was considered a good sign was that um, it was an indication that the people who lived in the nearby village, who were obviously supporting this uh, group of monastics, um, understood uh, the value of offering, that this was a, 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 that this was a social value of theirs, <laughs> um, and uh, that they were um, extending themselves in this way. So this was considered to be a safe town, a, a, a town where people had high moral conviction and very generous hearts. I thought that was really interesting, you know, as a, um, a, as a comparison or as, as a, a way to reflect upon this, you know, that one, uh, a society that understands the value of spiritual practice to the extent that it supports um, 
people who are willing to renounce the world and, and go and practice, you know, this is a very healthy society. This is a society that I want to live in, <laughs> you know. And uh, Ajahn Punadama was jokingly re- referring to uh, an article with, uh, by Robert Thurman where he says, what America needs is a lot more free lunch monasteries <laughs> where, where people, are, because it would be an indication that people understand the importance of offering uh, to support monastic communities to do this kind of practice. You know, it's a benefit to us all, and it's not like um, we're saying in any way that what they're doing is better. And it doesn't say anything about the choices that we're making in our lives. What it says is that we are people who understand this as a very important uh, social value. And it raises us all up. You know, it lifts us all up when we understand that. So just uh, for reflection on that one, that that can be a little sticky, but um, uh, I think it's worth thinking about. He talks about um, giving so as to gain a happy rebirth, and and there's a lot in the teachings about this, and uh, I invite you to look that up because uh, um, it's clearly there. And it's an interesting example where uh, in a way, the uh, the Buddha is pointing to not only to the the uh, fact of the experience of reincarnation, but to the, the absolute direct consequences of having a generous and happy heart. He, he says, in no uncertain terms, in a number of suttas, that it uh, it will conduce to rebirth, at least as a human being, in an, in your next life, not lower, and uh, possibly in the heaven realms. And if a human being, then a human being with very good conditions, very good life conditions. But the one that's uh, the most excellent uh, reason for giving, I think uh, it it may surprise you, but it's that last one. Uh, It says, uh, to purify the heart, to beautify and ennoble the mind. That uh, most, uh, all the other forms of, of giving in one way or another have some self-concern in them. There's some gain that uh, occurs at the same time as the giving. So at its best, dana or, or generosity is done for, for the idea of purification of this heart. It's wild, isn't it? <laughs> you, don't, you don't think of it that way when, when you're doing it. But that's exactly what's happening. It's like the, the, it, it is uh, reversing all of the deeply, deeply rooted impulses uh, towards me, self-absorption, and, and getting and um, gratifying this one. So uh, there's a lot in the, in the suttas uh, about this, and uh, one story in particular just jumps out at me, probably because it's, a, it's about a lay woman at the time of the Buddha, and um, I want to find out more about her. I want to read a lot more about her. Her name was Risaka, and she was um, a very um, uh, generous supporter of the of the communities. And it's also said uh, it is, there's not 
there's a, a, a number of instances in the suttas where um, the Buddha or somebody uh, acknowledges or names uh, the various um, stages of enlightenment that people uh, realize. And Visaka, uh, it said, was uh, realized to the second stage. So this is living as a laywoman, living at the time of the Buddha. And uh, she wanted to, this story is in the Vinaya, if you're interested. She wanted to um, make a, a big gift to the community. And it was a huge gift. She wanted to offer lifetime supply of um, bowls and uh, fabric for their robes and medicinal requisites. And this is for you know a community of some 500 uh, monastics. And so the, the Buddha, as he often does, um, at first he doesn't uh, say yes. You know, she says uh, that she w- would like to offer it, and he doesn't. He he doesn't say yes, and he, she offers a couple of times, and finally he says, um, "Well, tell me, Wisaka, why why do you want to do this? Why do you want to make this big gift?" And uh, she says, "Well." When I'm uh, out and about, and I see the members of the community uh, wearing robes that I know they made out of the cloth that I offered, and carrying the bowls that I know are the bowls that I offered, it will make my heart so happy, and my meditation will go very well. (laughs) And as if to say, that's the right answer, (laughs) you know, the Buddha says, okay, she can... She can give this gift. Interesting, huh? Because what she's wanting is to soften and relax and beautify the mind through meditation and with this basis of dana, with this basis of offering. So I, I love that one. I think it uh, really speaks to, speaks to us. So just um, a, a few things by, by way of closing from the, the, the suttas uh, about the fruits of giving. There's uh, this one sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya that is really beautiful. Um, in this world, monks, there are three things of value for one who gives. What are the three things? Before giving, the mind of the giver is happy. While giving... The mind of the giver is made peaceful. After giving, the mind of the giver is uplifted. So it's kind of saying when we get in the groove of giving, it's as if we're getting in sync with our nature. Everything is in line. Everything is happy and radiating. Here's another one from the Anguttara where... uh, the Buddha is asked about the benefits of giving. Is, uh, he's asked, uh, Is it possible, Lord, to point out a fruit of generosity visible in the here and now? What can I know here and now? It is possible, he says. One who is generous, a master of giving, is dear and charming to people at large. Furthermore, good people, people of integrity, Admire one who is generous, who is a master of giving. Furthermore, the fine reputation 
of one who is generous, a master of giving, is spread far and wide. Furthermore, when one who is generous, a master of giving, approaches any assembly of people, nobles, warriors, brahmins, householders, or contemplatives, he does not he does so confidently and without embarrassment. I love that one. You know, it's just that it speaks to a strength of conviction and of great comfort and ease within oneself. Furthermore, at the breakup of the body after death, one who is generous, a master of giving, reappears in a good destination, the heavenly worlds. Perhaps the most compelling reason um, for giving, for cultivating this quality of generosity, I found in um, uh, some teachings of uh, Prakanti Palo. Uh, and this is what he said. It, it really moved me. He says, The generous person will never regret. Uh, this, actually, he's saying that this is a, a, the generous heart will sustain us at the moment of our death. The generous person will never regret. Um, regret his life as he lay dying, nor will his mind be beset by fears regarding his future, for he can review all of his generosity, all of his kindness, all of his support of what is good. The reviewing is called chaganusati, the recollection of generosity. And when one recollects the excellent conduct, even though it may be a deed done many years ago, then the mind becomes quiet, peaceful, and set in the way of the Dhamma, and the death will be a peaceful one. So I offer you this for your reflection tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.